0: You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life on the Palouse, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. Uh, Today we're going to continue on in our sermon series. Uh, Let me tell you where we've been. If you've missed anything, this has been a very intentional sermon series because we have a lot of questions that have been asked of, of us, and I'll get those via email or different things about, hey, what is your stance on this? How do you guys view this? Because there's confusion in the church about what does the church actually believe. And so we've been trying to be uh, as clear as we can, but do it with a ton of grace and mercy and love as well. And so in the first week, uh, Adam talked about uh, the text. And we talked about where do you get your authority in life? Who gets to tell you, what you're doing and how you think and what does it look like? Is it our culture? Is it our? Is it our? Uh, is it? Is it uh, what your mom says or what TikTok says or what something else says or is it actually God's word? And how much are we engaging in God's words? What do we even know as Christians? And it kind of was off the hills of our sermon series that we started the year off with. Is are you a fan of Jesus or are you a follower of Jesus? And we're called to be followers of Jesus. We're not called to just like Jesus. And we're called to submit to God's authority in his word, not culture's authority in their words. So who has authority in your life? The second one, we, we talked about sexual brokenness. And really, we talked about uh, where do we get our sexual ethic from? Do we have a modern sexual ethic that basically ends at consenting adults? And that's where it ends right now. But I think that ethic is moving. Or do we have a uh, a traditional, historical, biblical sexual ethic of what it looks like within, what what does sex look like within the, the, the confines of marriage and its purpose and all of those things? And so we talked about that. Then we talked about marriage and singleness, who it's for and how the church should embrace those who are called to singleness. And that singleness doesn't mean that you're alone. It's just how you're currently operating and that should be embraced and celebrated. You're not less than because you're single and you're not more than because you're married last week Adam ta- tackled a difficult subject and I thought he did it really well I'm really proud of him um, and what does it mean what is same sex behavior and same sex attraction and how do we view it in God's word and what does God have to say about that and every time as we were going through and he's like and I don't have more time for that I was like oh I wish we did though and and it's something that we could do a full like sermon series on and not just on that but just to dive into the different viewpoints because there are different viewpoints around those texts but all of those texts would lead to say they don't there's never like a positive spin on it it's always kind of in the not viewed positively and so i thought that he uh, handled that well and then this week i get the privilege of talking about gender now in 2010 march of 2010 when I accepted a calling into vocational ministry, if you were to tell me, "Dras, 13 years later, you're going to preach a sermon on gender, I would be like, that's a pretty short sermon. I wouldn't even know what you're talking about. I wouldn't even, that's how fast things have really, really moved. Just in 13 short years, like the church has to have a, has to have this talk on Gender. And I would imagine if things are going to continue to go this way, at some point in the next 10 or 15 years, the church is going to have to have a talk on pedophilia and why that's not good and why that's wrong and bestiality and why that's not good and why that's not... like Those things are all like, that's crazy. If you told me like 13 years from now, Josh, you're going to have to talk about pedophilia and how that's not okay in the culture, I'd be like, aren't people, aren't people arrested for that? And so things are trending and changing very quickly. And if we are not educating ourselves, if we're not putting ourselves in a position to understand God's position and we're not surrounding ourselves with that influence and we're surrounding ourselves with other influence. Have you ever heard the saying and it came up in our sermon club? And I'm old, so bear with me on this one. But like, you know, you will be like the people that you associate with and the books that you read, well, it's not books anymore, but the TV shows that you watch, the TikToks, that, the things that are engaging your mind will draw you towards that. And so uh, if I continue down, the, down a path of being like the things that I read about and I'm investigating about, I might turn into a bottle of bourbon. Or I might turn into, you know, a, a, a very hack golfer or all these things. But you're going to be like the people that you associate with And the things that you allow to input your life, it is as natural as anything else. And so, are you associating with God's word? Are you engaging with God's people over God's word? I want to remind you all that this is a series, this series is for followers of Jesus. The culture would not, outside of Christian followers of Jesus, they would not love the things we've talked about because it is not what they think. They don't have a biblical sexual ethic. They have different viewpoints on same-sex behavior, on marriage and singleness and all of those pieces. And so remember this, what this sermon series is for. If you're new and you're just visiting us and you don't even know who Jesus is, you're like, oh, that's not very culturally sensitive. I'm not trying to be culturally sensitive. I'm trying to be biblically sensitive the best that I can. And I'm not perfect at that, guys. I want you to, I want to start with this that, that you are beautifully and wonderfully made. You are beautifully and wonderfully made. When God made you, he was like, oh, perfect. Oh my gosh, exactly what I wanted. The things that this person can accomplish in the world if they would submit to to the plan that I have for them are amazing and it's going to help put this creation back together. You were designed with a purpose. You were designed with intent. This little baby right here was designed with purpose and intent and so cute. She's going to have such a great life. You are designed with purpose and intent. You're not a mistake. No matter how you were conceived, whether you were inside or outside of a marriage or, or you were adopted or whatever, you are not a mistake. Our creator doesn't make mistakes. And things that we view as mistakes were his intended purpose and our judgment on them are poor. And so I want us to start our our day-to-day understanding that God's in love with you. Jesus loves me. And Jesus loves you. So much that he went to a cross for you and I. So, how do we as believers understand gender? And let me tell you, this has been a journey. Like I said, 13 years ago, I'd be like, I don't know what... what do you want me to talk about? This has been a journey that we're not going to complete today. If you're bold enough and you want to go down that journey, we've created a resource page and you could get to the same spot. Well, maybe a different spot, a better spot. But you could go down and put and invest time, energy, and effort to understand gender, to understand same sex attraction, to understand marriage and singleness better. You could all of that's there for you. It's like all this is is like a I hope you like spin off and dive into something. And we're going to hear God's word today and his truth about it. But why would you even care to do that? What is your responsibility as a follower of Jesus to continue to educate yourself in what's going on? And that's what we're imploring you to do. That's what we're asking you to do. So this has been a journey. So let me, there'll be definitions. I was telling my sermon club earlier this week. I'm like, this sermon feels like a bunch of like notes and information, all those things. I don't know if I have any heart for it, like heart, like where is my heart going to fit into God's sermon here? Because we have so much information to cover, but we're going to dive right in. We're going to take a big swing at this and we're going to fall in love with God's word and we're going to fall in love in the arms of Jesus of what he has for us. Amen? amen. You have to kind of say amen after that. <laughs> like, no! No, we're going to. All right, so let's take a look at a definition of Gender. Gender used to be synonymously uh, used used to be used synonymously with sex. I didn't even know it changed. I didn't even know it changed. Who changed it? Who said it's not? Okay, some people still use them synonymously today, but many people typically use gender to describe one or all of the following: your own internal sense of self, how you express yourself, clothing, mannerisms, interest or cultural expectations for what it means to be a man or a woman. Let's look at the next definition of sex. One's biological sex, which is constituted by one's system of reproduction. Chromosome, men have Y, women do not. Genitalia, uh, hormones, uh, which affect secondary sex characteristics like body hair, bone structure, and muscle density. So I believe that the culture, I'll use I statement like we're in a small group, even though we're not. Uh, I believe that the culture is trying to dictate and change what gender is and isn't. The goalposts are being moved. Culture does not get to dictate gender. God does. And here's what I mean by that. Uh, In like the 1950s, culture would have said that long hair and wearing a dress means that you're a girl. And some of you rebelled after the 50s if you, were born, if you were a child born in the 50s, and you had long hair, and you had headbands on, and you looked different than those folks, and your parents were like, that's it. Now they're listening to rock and roll music, and here we go. But it's very culturally driven. So, And we have this idea of what masculine and femininity is based on our culture, and our culture is always trying to define and change that, and it has over time. So like, if you have long hair and you're wearing a dress, you're a girl— Okay, let's talk to this gentleman about it. Big sissy, William Wallace, wearing a dress. It's called a kilt. Okay. Like, what's not masculine about William Wallace? Like, this is like, like right? Like, so the culture, and William Wallace was a true character, and this was in the 1300s. So in the 1300s in Scotland, they wore kilts, dresses, Right? and had long hair and cut your head off. Not all of them. But do you understand how culture changes and is dictating what male or female is? The idea of like, hey, it's a gender reveal party. It's blue if it's a boy, if it's pink, if it's a girl. Like, that's new. Like, God, I didn't find it in here, but maybe I didn't look hard enough, but like, I was looking for the like, blue means boy and pink means girl. Like, that's new. Culture is trying to define gender. And if we let culture define gender, and if we let culture continue to define a bunch of... I'm not trying to beat up on our culture. I'm just saying culture doesn't supersede God's word. Culture doesn't get to dictate those things. Well, science says science doesn't get to dictate God's word. And science is great, and it's constantly changing you know, in 1915, following a Harper's Bazaar ad featuring a model in a sleeveless gown with hairless armpits, Gillette introduced the first razor for women. Do you know that our culture says that our women shave their arms and they shave their legs and like, that's what our culture says, but that's not how God designed them. That's cultural. It's cultural that I'm a 47 year old man who's got a goatee with graying hair. Like how many pastors, I'm like, has everybody got a goatee now? What's going on? It's cultural. At the end of the day, culture does not dictate gender. God does. So what does God say about gender? Oh, here we go. We're going to Genesis again. and At the beginning, like, what does he say? It's, but it's what he says. So join with me, Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish and the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. So God has a design that he thinks works and he calls them male and female. And so we can move the gender around and we can change different things, but God says that there's male and female. That's his intended creation to bring about the restoration of all things that we would work together, even outside of that, like outside of a marriage context, like a male and female, there's things that we need. Anybody marry their opposite? You're like, eh. Like, yeah, right? Like, how did that happen? The people that I have around me on staff, they have this thing called our voices. Our voices like our five voices, our leadership voices. And my two biggest nemesis voices on our staff are Adam McKeldry and Carrie Gray. God designed and put people in my life to balance me out because there's things about me that are very, very Incomplete. And that God is using people to help shape us, male and female, different genders, to shape what His creation looks like. It goes on in Genesis two. It goes on, but for Adam, uh, there was no suitable helper found. There's a great discussion if you ever look at that on what helper means. It's not like less than or like somebody that needs to be, you know, it's, it's, it's like an adjust, it's, it's, it's an uh, opposite, opposing support. Like you're going to fall over if you don't have this. And this is going to fall over if you don't have this. So the Lord God caused the man, man, he uses a, a male term here, the man to fall into deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's rib and then closed up the place with flesh. And then the Lord God made woman from the rib. He had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And that's why a man must leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and felt no shame. And you'll see this narrative throughout Scripture of male and female, male and female. So whatever culture wants to do with gender and change terms and move the goalposts of what what gender is, at the end of the day, as a follower of Jesus, I would submit to you that we are male and female. And that we try and figure out what that means to, to build God's kingdom in the design that he's given us. Jesus reaffirms all this in Matthew 19, 4, 6, he re what we just read. He says, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason the man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh? So what do we do as followers of Jesus with all of this gender stuff? Well, first of all, you should seek to understand it. Not be mastered by it, not be uh, conformed to culture, but understand what's going on. And we should love and we should model what we understand God's design is for humanity in this room. Start in your own circle. You know, going away from God's plan has never really worked out for humankind, for the benefit of humankind. The problem I see is like where we're trying to figure out if we're a fan or a follower of Jesus, maybe we're not aware or bought into the design that God has. Maybe we listen far, maybe I listen far too much to culture and to what the created says, not what the creator says. So as we continue on, we'll look at some more uh, gender names or or, um, Definitions that you might see out there. So here's the next definition that you might see out there. As, uh, cisgender. Someone whose gender identity matches the sex they were assigned at birth. So now we're going to start assigning things. There's different places now where we're starting to mess with gender. And we're like, well, we're not going to assign whether you're a male or female. We'll let you decide that when you're 12. We're going to start changing. Like There's hospitals now where, they, like, they're, they're where 5% of the people aren't even assigning a gender on the birth certificate. We'll let them figure it out. Like, that's not, that's moving the goalposts. Like, that's the culture changing. It's the medical field's having a difficult, difficult time. Combining science and politics and being pushed into certain areas, like, there's people paying some pretty heavy prices for this. So, when my grandson was born, they were like, oh, boy. Male. He has male stuff. We're gonna call him River. Seems like a maleish name. I don't know, right? And like it was pretty. That's that simple. That was his gender assigned at birth, and I believe that was his gender assigned in the womb by God when he was created. So here's a real recent study. When we get into this topic of transgender, how many people are familiar with transgender or you've heard the term, the phrase is out there, you're around it, it's in the schools, it's all over the place like transgender, right? So to me, as I observe it in culture, it's like, man, this is huge. Like this must be like, I don't know, 50% of the world, 40 I mean, wow, this is a giant group of people that are transgender, Right? And so as you look into the statistics and start researching it, it's very uh, age-driven and changes quite a bit in the statistics. So Pew Research Center did a study in May of 2022, recent study, that 1.6 of U.S. adults say that their gender is different from their sex-assigned gender at birth, so basically with what they were born with. And those statistics are a little bit skewed, 18 to 29... Your age group, 5.1% of those folks surveyed are like, my gender is different than what I was assigned. <laughs> Ages 30 to 49, 1.6%. And you old folks over 50, you're like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, what do you mean? What's the question? What do you mean? Like, uh, that's how I said it. It's 0.3. And what's really, really happening in the transgender world is it's really, moving forward at a very rapid pace amongst our 12- to 18-year-old demographic, even more specifically girls. And there's a term called rapid-onset gender dysphoria. And it's being moved along in our culture. So transgender, the definition here, is an umbrella term for various ways in which some people experience incongruency between their biological sex and their gender identity. In layperson's term, a transgender person often feels like they're trapped in the wrong body. There is no room for coarse joking or inconsiderate talk in Christian culture for someone who feels like that. I cannot fathom it. And not meanly, like, can you imagine trying to live a life as a follower of Jesus, feeling like you were made and put in the wrong body? How much love and Christian support from God's people would someone need to walk out their life this way? Now, just because most of us I've not experienced this does not invalidate the feelings of someone who does. And it also doesn't mean that we need to try and change our values and our belief system and how God created us to placate to culture. See, it's an identity crisis as a whole. An identity crisis isn't new by any means. As I was thinking about it this morning, sitting in my office praying and reading over one of my lines, I was like, but wait a minute, that's me. I'm, I've been in an identity crisis. It's just not a gender identity crisis. And you've heard of these things called midlife. And somebody does something desperate and foolish to find their identity. That could be really destructive for lots of folks. And so when we come down to this as a church, like when I'm analyzing and viewing this and why am I passionate about like, did you know what you were at 12 years old? Not outside of your biological sex, but did you know like exactly like I could barely walk? My feet were so big. I was just like, you know, didn't know if girls liked me or if I like I, I didn't know what I was like. I was a mess as a junior higher. There's so much going on with my body, and I'm changing, and things are happening, and and then, you know, but nobody's coming along being like, hey, you know what? Maybe you were made incorrectly. Maybe there's something wrong with you. Maybe you should back off of this and, and move towards this. There was no, like, influence or movement or pushing. I just, like, stumbled around with everybody else and tried to figure it out. And so protecting and being there for the youngest folks in our culture and giving them a chance to live out and figure out what God's design is for them as they mature physically and as they mature intellectually. But that's not what our culture wants to do. They want to play with little kids and hormones. They want to start changing things with that before that blocking things things that are just i would have a difficult time seeing how god would be okay with that but here's what jesus does as jesus leaves the 99 percent of us that maybe aren't struggling with these issues and he chases after the one and if you want to be like jesus you should under we should seek to understand the best that we can what's going on i you know Do you understand what's going on in the heart of somebody that feels like they're trapped in the wrong body? Have you ever taken the time to go talk with somebody or spend time with somebody or educate yourself or is it just kind of like, oh, that's not my club? Seek to get to know somebody, to build a relationship, to build a friendship with, not to compromise your values, not to compromise your Christian ethic, but to actually be Jesus like Jesus be like and go chase the one. But Jesus doesn't chase the ninety-nine to become a light, or doesn't chase the one to become like the one. He chases the one to come back to bring it back into community, to bring it back into a place to look what it looks like to have an identity that's set in Christ. Last, and a couple more definitions for you guys: um, gender dysphoria. A fairly new term used by psychologists to describe the level of distress that often comes with the incongruence one might experience between their biological sex and the internal sense of who they are, their identity. It's an identity crisis. It's not a, it's like, oh, a disease or a problem. Like, who am I? And all of us ask, like, we ask that. Who am I? I was just having a discussion today with one of my brothers. It's like, trying to figure out who I am. What is my purpose? What does God have for me? And this should become quite distressful. And it can lead to devastating results if you don't know your identity. Jesus, again, we're talking about this in Matthew nineteen twelve text here. For there were eunuchs who were born that way, and there were eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others. And there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of, of heaven. The one who can't accept this should accept this. Is Jesus saying That he was aware of the one in every forty-five hundred people that are born with the genitalia not matching what their what some things are. Is he aware of that? Is he aware of? And outside of he aware, how should we treat folks with grace and truth? But remember, this number is not the predominant number. This the narrative that's being played out in culture is not as large as the actual statistics. But now we're starting to move towards a thing where if you, well, you're a transphobic. If you don't accept who I am, the way that I want to live my life, my identity, how I want to change things, you're a this. You got a name now. Did you know that? If you don't accept this, well, now we're going to name you this. And then we're going to take away these tax, tax status for you. And then we're going, to, we're going to punish you for not conforming to culture. Well, then you're going to get Punished. It's a big issue that we have to start diving into to understand and speak well of it. More definitions for you. Intersex is a term used to describe someone who is born with some atypical features in their sexual anatomy and or sexual chromosomes. Intersexuality does not refer to sexual orientation or gender identity. It's what I just told you, that statistic. One in every 4,500 babies has some sort of... uh, gender disformity like with their their private world. Gender non-conforming or GNC it's not where you buy your vitamins anymore. Uh, I needed a joke. (laughs) Like I needed something. Right? Uh, One who expresses gender outside of traditional norms associated with masculinity or femininity. Not all gender nonconforming people are transgender, and some transgender people express gender in conventionally ma- masculine or feminine ways. Remember, like, anybody, any of you ladies ever been called a tomboy when you were growing up? Like, you like to play football with the boys and, like, trip them, and, like, like you didn't do the, the stuff that, that supposedly girls do? Any of you boys ever play with dolls? Men? You liars. <laughs> you call them action figures. <laughs> <laughs> hey, how many people had G.I. Joe? Like, er, uh, like, how many people? Of course you did. Like, right? But it's how culture is, is moving it. Next definition, non-binary. Gender identities, other than male or female, Okay, these entities include queer, uh, gender queer, gender fluid, uh, pan gender, gender nonconforming. These terms are used by people who don't identify as exclusively male or female or reject a gender uh, binary altogether. They would probably reject that God made them male or female. They would reject what God would say, maybe about gender. So this is not just a, a gender issue, but at the heart of it, it's an identity crisis. Who am I? Am I liked? What is this about? Like and this thing is being fed. It's being fed, it's being fed, it's being fed. I think many of you are experiencing this with your, with your, your kids in and, and schools and with social media and TikTok and all of these other uh, things, that is social media, I know that uh, all of these different pieces. But what does God say about gender? What does God say about identity? He says that you have been made complete in Christ. In him you have been made complete and he is the head over all rule and authority if you're a follower of Jesus. Next one. He says, I was formerly in darkness but now I'm in the light in the Lord. You were formerly darkness but now you are light in the Lord and walk as children of the light. He's got a plan and a purpose for you. Walk as children of light. Next. I'm God's workmanship I was created to produce good works. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for the good works which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. How cool is it to know that God has good works for you to do? Things that are gonna bring complete and wholeness and holiness to the kingdom and to others around you. Next one. I am redeemed. I'm forgiven by the grace of Christ in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. We should seek that. We should seek that. I am redeemed. It sounds so good. I want to sing that song, but I won't. I'll, I'll bear all you. I'll, I'll spare all you guys. And finally, I've been made one with, with all who are in Christ Jesus. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free man. There's neither male nor female. He's not discrediting that. He's making a bigger point. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. We are all one in Christ Jesus. And what does it look like to function and work as one? All right. In closing here, I want to finish off with a couple of things. And this uh, is going to lean on uh, the gender side of the discussion as well. I'm Basically, copying these from Preston Sprinkle, one of our resources on how should Christians respond when we talk about gender pieces. Number one, remember this: never forget that this topic is about people. It's about God's precious prize creation, and that we are to love them well. This is not condemning. Who, who does the work of changing everybody in the world? You are the Holy Spirit right? When we're used by God, he gets the glory, he gets the credit. And so as you engage and you spend time with folks who may be struggling with these different pieces of their identity, or even outside of this, it's really a bigger identity problem. Let God's spirit guide you and lead you as you love them with grace and truth. Number two, remember we all fail to live out our gender perfectly. There's abuse of masculine power, that's sin. Manipulating men with feminine power is sin. We all use our gender in ways that fall short of God's intention. Third one. Resist destructive ideologies. We can, we can and we must love and care for people while resisting unchristian ideologies that deconstruct the basic truth about what it means to be male or female. like, do I have to resist that? Well, you're going to find out that you're going to have to start resisting that if you haven't already. Number four. Don't project and participate in cultural stereotypes. We need to promote biblical, not cultural expectations for masculinity and femininity and being being feminine. Because you don't hang out at campfires and, and kill deer and elk, that doesn't mean that you're not a man. And because you don't love art and music or different pieces of that, that doesn't mean that you're, you're, you're less manly. Like, think about, think about David. Like, he cuts off Goliath. <laughs> he throws a rock through Goliath's head, and then he writes poetry. Think about his relationship with Jonathan and how intimate they were in a non-physical sexual nature, but how intimate they were connected to each other. And the same for ladies. Don't let culture... Dictate whether you're male or female by what you do or don't do. You find this in sports. How come there's not a bunch of women transitioning to men's sports? Why is it only, why am I only heard it this way? I heard it this weekend. There's a 6'8, 250 pound, no, 270 pound gal, new gal who served in the military, who's 50 years old, who's playing college basketball. And they're having a hard time gardener. Like, you understand what's going on in the culture? Like, why does that seem weird? And why is that that moving into? It's like it's moving other things out and around. I wasn't even in my notes. I'm not supposed to leave my notes. I'm sorry. (laughs) The love of God invites us to change. All of us. Whatever identity that you're seeing out there that's being given to others as a follower of Jesus, your identity is in who Jesus Christ says you are and how he made you. And we are all called to our identity in Christ. So here's what I want you to walk away with. Number one, God's creation is good and you are very good. He made you awesome. And he's got a plan and a purpose for you. And he's got a plan and a purpose for everything that he made on this earth. Living out our design for our lives is best. Or living out our, God's design for our lives is best. And we need to know what that is and model it for the world to see it. And we need to live it out in grace and truth. Amen? And here's something I want to make sure that we're crystal clear on. And I felt the tension of this of kind of coming up to a stage and I oh, you're gonna step on this landmine, you're gonna say something. Do not apologize for God's word. He is not ashamed of his word at all. And neither should we. He's so not ashamed of it that he had his one and only son go to the cross and die so that we might really understand what our true identity in Christ is. And so as we venture out and you understand and dive into more resources and learn more about these things, remember to seek out whose identity God has placed upon you. What is the identity that God has placed upon you? What is the purpose and plan? And how should you engage with folks that may look different and act different? And how do you separate culture and God's word? Culture, what is, so it comes, it submits to God's word. God's word does not submit to culture. Amen? Not a lot of amens on that. Let me say that again. Maybe I said it wrong. Like culture does not own and own this. Right. This dictates culture. When you get away from this, culture, you know, the culture is obviously changing. But God's word is the authority as a follower of Jesus. Amen. Okay, I'm just checking. I know I might be confusing. Let's take this time for communion. Uh, if you are new with us, glad you made it. Uh, if you're new with us, uh, we celebrate uh, communion every week. And so we'll have guys walking down the aisle. You can raise your hand and we'll get you one of these. But we want to come to the table and submit our lives every week to the lordship of Jesus. We want to submit our lives to what he did on the cross for each and every one of us. And as we walk out here, we are filled with his spirit, with his purpose and his plan to love the world and put it back together. So uh, join me and pray with me as we get ready for, to prepare for Communion. Father God, help us to love. Help us to love like you loved us. Right now, in this room, there may be folks that are struggling with identity. Who am I with you? Am I a fan? Am I a follower? What does this look like in my life? How can I do the things that, that I want to do and be in submission to who you are? And Lord, I just know that your Holy Spirit that you left here, that's entered our hearts, is the ultimate counselor. And so I ask that you would just move with truth and, truth and grace in this time. And we thank you for giving us the truth. And the ultimate grace in your Son. Amen. So Lord Jesus, on the night He was betrayed, he took that bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, "This is my very body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us remember who Jesus Christ is and what He did for us on the cross and the life we get to live now." In the same way after supper. He took the cup and saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it and do it in remembrance of me. Lord, we remember your shed blood on the cross and we thank you for it. Lord, I just ask that your hands be upon all the folks that are hearing this message. And then again, Lord, that your, message would, well, your word would, would uh, reign. Not the words of a man, but your word. Help us to not overcomplicate things. Help us to not try and twist and move and, and, and get out of positions that, that maybe you've put us in, Lord, for our growth and for our purpose. Lord, let us continue to walk out of this room full of your grace, full of your truth, and be open to engage where you want us to engage the way you want us to engage. Have your hand upon this body in Jesus' name. Amen.